0: Almighty God, you make us glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant that, as we joyfully receive him as our Redeemer, so we may with sure confidence behold him when he he shall come to be our Judge, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and for ever. Amen. The first reading is taken from Titus. Chapter 3, starting at verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trust in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. The Gospel reading is taken from Luke, chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about his child, and those who heard it, and, the, and all who heard it, were amazed at the, what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord.
1: The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we pray, Father, that as we recall that great event this evening, that uh, the Lord God Almighty became a tiny baby in Bethlehem. The Word became flesh. So we pray that the written Word which we've heard now would become alive to us too, that by your Spirit it might change us, so that we might be more like Jesus. Amen. Do sit down. Let me add my warm welcome to you on this Christmas Eve. It's lovely uh, to see you all here this evening. Welcome if you're visiting us. If you're here because it's Christmas Eve especially, you are most warmly welcome. It's great to have you with us as you get to the end of 2013 what are you leaving behind what have we lost well those of you who know me won't be surprised to hear that uh, the loss of the ashes has uh, has been in my mind uh, i loved the true story uh, that i heard last week of a fellow vicar who last summer when of course we were winning the ashes Uh, took the wedding of a girl from the U.K. marrying an Australian. As he welcomed people to their wedding service, to Bruce and whatever he was called, Samantha's wedding, he apparently said, uh, as he welcomed people, he said, ''I so wish this was a funeral, not a wedding, then I could mention the ashes.'' (laughs) So I now have have this picture of vicars all over Australia, welcoming guests to Sheila's wedding, lamenting that it's not a funeral. Of course, we have lost the Ashes, but it, it, it doesn't really matter. At least I keep trying to persuade myself that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> to be serious, we have lost much more. In our church family here, we have several families entering Christmas without a hugely loved member of their family. There will be an unfillable gap at the table in many homes and, of course, in their lives. Others will have lost precious relationships during the year. Even marriages may have ended. Others may have lost jobs or been very restricted by loss of health, mental or physical health. As clergy, of course, we're often ushered in to these losses. It's a great privilege that we have as clergy. And the world, of course, has lost Nelson Mandela. It's remarkable how the life and death of Mandela has touched so many people so deeply. There are many reasons for this, but I think one of them is the fact that he coped himself with loss so well and allowed loss to change him for the better, disappointment, even what could be called failure. Perhaps you have read, uh, as I have, The Long Road to Freedom, we we'll probably seen some of the numerous TV programs about him. But what comes out, surely, is how the loss of liberty, even the loss of liberty for 27 years, the loss of his family, effectively, the loss of the opportunity to influence for change, the grave injustices in his, in his country, huge losses, they did not embitter him but persuaded him that forgiveness and reconciliation, not violence or or competition or argument, but forgiveness and reconciliation had to be the way to go. And these ideas, forgiveness and reconciliation, are at the heart of the Christmas message too. And our world needs to hear them and needs to hear them boldly preached and lived as Mandela did. One of the interviews that I heard about Mandela was with the ex-United States President, Jimmy Carter. He was with Mandela, part of a group which they called the Elders, retired world leaders who met from time to time to talk and think through how they could make a contribution, and specifically how they could keep alive and put into practice the values for which Nelson Mandela stood. In the interview, Jimmy Carter was asked if he would compare Mandela to Jesus. He said he would never do that because he was a Christian and believed Jesus to be the sinless Son of God, the Messiah. Mandela was flawed, of course, like all humanity. But Carter did say that he was the best human being that he had ever met. Mandela could advocate and put into practice forgiveness and reconciliation in his own life. But in this little passage from Paul's letter to Titus that Pat read for us, we are reminded in a very remarkable little excerpt from the letter that Jesus not only preached reconciliation and forgiveness, but that he achieved forgiveness and reconciliation for us. This achievement was, of course, that great loss to him. Elsewhere, Paul describes how Jesus effectively left the glory of heaven for the lonely stable and the barren cross. Huge loss. Huge, unimaginable loss that forgiveness and reconciliation might be achieved. The great human problem which we recall so powerfully in this communion service, in the liturgy of the communion service, the great problem, it is a big problem, is not our alienation from each other, terrible that, though that is, and terrible loss is caused because of it, But the great problem is our alienation as a race from God. Mankind's greatest loss is the relationship with God for which we were created, each one of us, we were created to know God and to be, as I said in my prayer at the beginning, like Jesus. And to live the whole of our lives with that loss is, so to speak, to be in solitary confinement as if we were in Robin Island ourselves, missing out on everything that we should be enjoying, missing out on all the influence that we should have, missing out on all the good that we could be doing if we were free. It is our sin, it is our rebellion against God, which we recognize and confess in this service and have just done so, that imprisons us and isolates us from God. This is what... Paul is trying to tell Titus so clearly. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Most of us tend to think, most of us are kind of encouraged to think by our education system, by the way we have brought up. Most of us tend to think that we will achieve forgiveness and reconciliation by our own efforts, as Paul puts it here, because of the righteous things that we have done. But if that were so, if we could achieve our forgiveness and our reconciliation to God by the things that we do, then there would be no need for the cradle of Bethlehem. There would be no need for the cross of Calvary. Why would God send someone to save us if we could save ourselves? A few weeks ago, my uh, newspaper had pictures of the two killers of the soldier in South London. And on the next page, or possibly even alongside it, I think, was a picture of Nelson Mandela. The killer's faces were cruel, and twisted, sneering. Kindness and love were written all over Mandela's so familiar smiling face. At Christmas, we recall, you have come here this evening to recall, that God has revealed his kindness and love for all mankind, even though we have rebelled against him. He has saved us in Jesus. He has forgiven us in Jesus. We are reconciled to God in Jesus. So let me encourage you as you head home this evening and prepare your sherry for Santa Claus and your presents under the Christmas tree. Don't make this great news, this greatest of Christmas presents, the one present that lies unopened under your tree. To all who received him, wrote St. John, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right, he gave the power, literally the explosive power, the dynamite, to become children of God. He gave us the power to be reconciled to be forgiven, to become children of God. I fear that there is precious little sign that the spirit of Mandela will effectively live on in South Africa, would that, uh, would that it does. We can hope that his values will be respected. But what we do know is that the work of Jesus will never be forgotten or wasted because he is with us still in a way that Mandela can never be with his people again. He has poured out his Spirit in our hearts, says Paul to Titus. And so has the Bishop of Oxford, so uh, clearly made a point that he made so clearly in the times today. Perhaps you saw it. There are thousands more Christians this evening in the world than there were this morning. The Spirit of God is at work to complete the work of Jesus. His Spirit is poured out in our hearts as men and women, boys and girls all around the world, and sometimes in the most unlikely places in the world, turn to Him in repentance and faith and discover the reconciliation and forgiveness for which they long. The Christian believer is not only forgiven and reconciled, but now has the dynamic power to be a force for forgiveness and reconciliation in our broken world. That is how we are to live. That is how we are to live by the power of the Spirit. So I pray that God would give us courage to say yes to this greatest of Christmas presents and then welcome His Spirit into our lives so that we are, as a community, as believers, as those who remember and believe these great events this evening, that we become a force for good in our world and become more like the Jesus we remember this evening. Amen.